Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight, once again, is my regular panelist, Julian Murdoch. Hello, I guess I am sort of regular. And also with us tonight, uh, representing the novice wargamer point of view, (laughs) is our old friend, Corey Demiurge-Banks. I'm the irregular member of the, the party tonight. The reason we have Corey to, you know, talk about his novice experience wargaming is because we have something of a novice grognard wargame uh, on our hands this evening. We're discussing Matrix's Panzer Corps, which is a shot-for-shot rem- remake of uh, Panzer General 2. I personally am in the midst of a rather severe 180 on this game. Really? So, yeah. So let's, let's, start, with, uh, let's start with you, Julian. Uh, what, what are your first impressions of it? Before you well, jump in, I should clarify that it's the Lord's Game Studio that developed it. Because okay. I, I, I think it was a very small outfit that put this together. I think it was a guy, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what. That's that's my recollection of it. So, so my my sense of this game is that it is, uh, it, it's frankly, it's filled a gap that I don't think has been filled since Panzer General, right? It's it's it is this perfect tightly honed uh, gateway war game, right? I mean, if Bruce Garrick was here, he would cringe for us to even think about calling it a war game because it's not. It's it's effectively um, it's effectively a you know a strategy game that you could be playing with cardboard chits on a map, um, and the you know everything is very dumbed down in the sense that you know you, every unit is represented by essentially the same combination of about a dozen statistics, right? How 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 hard they hit infantry armor and air, how well they defend against infantry armor and air, a few little things like how well they deal in close combat. Um, Totally doesn't bother me that it is close to a shot-for-shot remake, as you called it, Rob. I mean, it it really is quite that. Um, However, I think it takes everything that Panzer General did well and does it just a little bit better. It all feels very tight, very refined, very speedy. Um, the The information is presented in a modern and accessible way. Um, where, you know, after the first, you know, by the time you finish the tutorial, certainly you will never be confused about what's going on with your units, right? Everything is right there in front of you, very much like Sins of the Solar Empire. Once you get through the first couple of games, you know where everything is at a moment's glance. Um, It's not perfect. I have, you know, a few annoying little fiddly bits I could complain about, but boy, I haven't played a, a sort of a core hex-based strategy game this good in a decade. So that's that's sort of my opening salvo. Now, Corey, you've barely played a core hex-based strategy game at all. Uh, so you <laughs> really sort of enjoying that, aren't you, Rob? <laughs> well, it was it was really cute. It was it was like well, I mean, it's sort of like I imagine uh, you know dropping your kids off for the first day of school is uh, watching you sort of trundle <laughs> off with uh, your backpack full of Panzer Corps. Uh, giving that long backward glance toward me and Julian as uh, you walked into walked into the main menu. Uh, so, so what's your experience been as you've you know, gotten your feet wet in uh, the Grognardian war game? There's there's a couple of, of points to this. One is that I it, I expected it to be a lot deeper and complex than it is, uh, which isn't a knock against it, but it was very accessible to a, a new player. Uh, it there were a lot of uh, gameplay mechanisms that made sense to me as I was looking at what I had available to me. Um, one point I'd like to make real fast is that we 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 discussed this game uh, briefly on on my podcast, the Gamers of Jobs podcast. Julian's too. Rob, you're on there all the time. 
And since then, I actually picked up Panzer General Two. Uh, okay. Because I was so curious. That is interesting. Okay. I was I was very curious to see how how similar they were, and I have to tell you that the update in Panzer Corps is necessary. It really really yeah. helps, uh, and so anyone who is interested in in getting into this kind of a game really should spend the forty dollars on this game because this this was a very necessary remake for a modern age, and it's not a modern game by any means. It's not popping off the screen as far as graphic fidelity is concerned but the way the menus are constructed the information the way it's organized i feel like and i'm by no means a a strategy gaming expert but i feel like i have everything at my fingertips and i I know how to make my next move you know the system is very much the same as it was in panzer general where panzer general really shows its age is it's one of those games that when I play it, I have to keep saving because it is one of those interfaces that makes it way too easy for me to make a scenario-destroying screw-up, a misclick, and right. it gives me no way of really walking that back. Uh, there's just there's just a lot of things that... There's, there's just a lot of ways it sort of screws up my, my intentions. Um, you know, one thing I never mastered was... Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd try to click an air unit and send it somewhere and accidentally click a ground unit that was beneath it and send it off to get murdered. That would happen to me all the time. And it's like, well, got to gotta reload because that just undid, you know, three turns of planning. So, I mean, that's that's definitely one aspect of... Uh, that's definitely the main aspect of the game that prob- probably needed updating. But but what do, you, what do you make of the game itself? I think it's great. I think it's a, a ton of fun. I was surprised as I exited the, the tutorial and moved into the, the, the full campaign mode how in control I felt. Um, I, 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 I do like the air units, I will admit. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed those quite a bit. But the balance between the air units and the land units and, hypothetically speaking, the, the naval units that I haven't used much yet... Um, I like the way that they they interact with one another. I, I like that there are uh, pros and cons to tactics that I would use. I, I find myself being a lot more cautious in this game than I would most strategy games, uh, turn-based or, or real-time. And I've, I've played a fair amount of turn-based games. I mean, nothing deep, nothing quite on the level of, of you know, the kinds of things. Nothing that would, would keep Bruce Garrick from yelling at me, right? Right. But... <laughs> But certainly, I, I, I have a little bit of a feel for what it takes to put together a, a memorable turn, right? And I, I always feel like I've been able to do that so far. Now, I haven't won every scenario I've played in Panzer Corps. That's, that's important to point out. I've, I actually lost pretty terribly the last time I was playing the single-player campaign. I imagine, Rob, in our play-by-email campaign, I'm going to get decimated. But I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing is... To me, the sign of a good strategy game is whether you feel like you're both still enjoying the experience, but more importantly, learning something when you're losing. And and I will say, I'm by no means am I just rolling through the game at all. Um, it, it's actually a little difficult for me to judge the AI because the game is so simple. Um, the one thing I have a hard time judging is how the AI spends its resources. It's it's difficult to know, and and unless you pl- played, you know, the same scenario seven or eight times, it would be difficult to really see whether or not it's playing off a script, um, in terms of sort of what its units are, et cetera. But but in terms of how it actually deals with units in tactical situations, you know, you're surrounding, you know, a lone tank in an open field with three infantry units. Does it stand or run? Right. It makes it makes fairly human calls. 
And every once in a while, you get that feeling it's doing the same thing that I'll do, which is is sort of roll the dice and say, well, I got this unit at half strength. It doesn't really have a lot of experience. It's not necessarily worth saving. What the hell? Maybe it'll get lucky. And I get these feelings that the AI is doing similar things once in a while, but not in any kind of repetitively stupid and exploitable way. Um, I mean, Rob, you're a little bit more of a connoisseur of like quality AI in a strategy game. What's your sense about how the computer plays here? There's a lot of things that make it difficult to judge. One of them is that the AI really doesn't have to do very much uh, because the way each scenario is constructed, at least, I mean, every every single player scenario I've played tends to be a series of AI-held strong points with space in between them for, for maneuvering. But it's really about sort of, you know, picking the lock on this one defended position. And uh, all the AI really has to do then is move its units around you know, intelligently within a, you know, circle of like, you know, a half dozen hexes, you know, it really, it really doesn't have to do much beyond that. It doesn't have to maintain a front. It doesn't really have to do much. It really doesn't have to do much in the way of counterattacking. Uh, the, the game is very much designed to allow the AI to sort of sit back and play very conservatively. And the onus is on you as the player to figure out how to drive it out out of its positions. Now, is that, I'm I'm sorry, is, is that, emblematic of panzer general as well or or was the ai in panzer general a little more uh aggressive well you know i mean i was, I was playing panzer general earlier earlier this year and my instinct right now is to say that panzer general's ai was a little more aggressive and i think part of that was also at least it seems to me that the scenario design in panzer general was a little bit better there was a, there was a little more uh, space for your units to roam, and I mean, I remember some of the Eastern Front scenarios uh, in, in Panzer General Two. You would have these sort of back and forth tank battles on these open, you know, Russian planes. Uh, here, this is just this just does not seem to be that sort of game. Getting very claustrophobic, and that's really turn. It's really a factor that's starting to really turn me off the game. You know, to be quite honest, is that this this scenario design of series of strong points. Each one is very difficult to take. Uh, means that every scenario has has a very samey feeling, at least to me. Every every scenario is about proceeding very cautiously and deliberately, and pretty much every time I try to be you know aggressive or bold or risk taking, it kind of feels like the game the game pushes back against that. And it's not really because of the AI; it's just the way the scenario is constructed. Now, have you played? Um, I, I I finished the tutorial campaign, started playing Poland a little bit, but which got a little bit dull just because I think it does suffer a little bit from that. And then I started poking around the individual scenarios, and I always find myself drawn in situations like this to the sort of fantastical scenarios, the what if scenarios. Um, so I've been playing through the what if the uh, what if the Germans won the war in Europe. Scenarios. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're the invasion of the East Coast of the U.S. and it's set in three missions: East Coast, Midwest, and West Coast. Um, and it, it's sort of it's fun because it's imagining you know a conflict that didn't happen. So it's kind of fun to see Panzers rolling through Chicago um, and stuff like that. But it's also using units that didn't exist, like the Mouse Panzer Eight, I think it is, um, which was there was a prototype of it, and it was like the world's the biggest tank ever made ever. Uh, and boy, it's very different in those scenarios, which are very clearly the opposite of what we're talking about. They are, uh, you know, you, you get victory for holding the line and the AI gets victory for capturing a certain number of, 
uh, you know, strategic points, uh, you know, on the East Coast or in the Midwest. And it, it plays very aggressively. Now, it may just be that it's playing with ridiculous hardware, right, that never existed. But it took me two or three times on the normal or it might have been the hard difficulty to crack the Midwest scenario. I just actually nailed it right before we started podcasting because it, it played a very clever uh, sort of almost Roman offense where it just went in with this, uh, you know, triangular formation with these unbelievable hard points at the front end, these mouses. Um, and then, you know, I w- was basically just like throwing myself up against, you know, like waves throwing myself up against a beach. Um, and, and it right. took me a while to sort of get the right strategy of, uh, you know, getting the right units behind, putting a bunch of paratroopers on the field so that I could cut off their supply lines, um, you know, things like that. I, but but it made me really think in an interesting defensive way, uh, which is u- unique in a game like this, because I think you're right. These often become, these types of games often are just about pitched battles moving inexorably over checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint. Um, these, these sort of, you know, fantasy scenarios really mixed that up. And I was surprised at how, engaging they were they're also really really big i mean they're they're four times the physical map size of most of the scenarios so oh wow um, you know you're playing with 30 or 40 tanks on the field and 30 or 40 infantry units and a dozen or two uh you know aircraft that's that's a big combat so you you actually saw the ai on the offensive yeah very Uh, much so and quite smartly it seemed to me that's why i was hoping you'd played it yeah, I, I haven't gotten around to those. One thing I, I have noticed is, just like the old Panzer General games, uh, Panzer Corps has the graded victories. It's uh, just You can get the decisive victory or the plain vanilla victory. And if you are, the more, one of, if you are among the more achievement-minded, the more prestige-minded, um, this game is going to drive you insane. Uh, and I've definitely sort of... Some of them are really hard to get. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I think I played the opening scenario of the uh, of the long campaign, the, you know, the invasion of Poland. I think I played that four times, trying to get the uh, the the decisive victory. And I mean, it was it, it reached a point, and this is, I mean, <laughs> to an extent, this is my fault. It reached a point where it was where it was not fun. You know, I was just trying to crack it because, you know, doing it in thirteen turns when twelve is the is the decisive victory. That's just that's just excruciating. Like, where did you go wrong? <laughs> uh, but what one thing I learned while I was doing that is that, as nearly as I can tell, what appears in these scenarios and how the AI handles it is not scripted. Or at least there's a couple different scenario setups it's working from. Because in these scenarios, there were times where I would hit one city where previously the Poles had mounted a you know big defense with like two infantry, two anti-tank, and an artillery supporting. Uh, and this time there'd just be one infantry unit. And I never even saw the, you know, any any of those units. I never even saw them. I saw a different mix of air units. So it definitely seems like there's some... Either the AI is making choices about what it's bringing onto the field in the scenario, or it's you know, there, or there's there's scenario variants built into the campaign. But either way, it was it was sort of pleasurable to have the game sort of defy my attempts to memorize it by rote and then right. play, you know out outthink the script. Uh, it it was definitely a little more dynamic than that. There was there was definitely one of the it might have been like the fifth mission in the tutorial campaign, which is not just a tutorial campaign. It's an excellent, excellent series of six or seven or however many missions it is. 
um, that not only teaches you the game, but it's just really fun and well scripted and and well done. Um, there's one of them where where it's sort of an evenly matched rectangular map, and you're moving from left to right. Um, otherwise, very rote. And I had gotten cocky by that point, and so I played very aggressively, and I just basically pulled all of my units off my cities and ran towards my objectives. And within two or three turns, its recon had gone all the way into the backfield, realized I'd abandoned my cities. And about two turns after that, I lost because it had taken all of my cities from me. Right. right. So it, it 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 wouldn't do that normally. Like if you just left like one infantry unit in each city, it doesn't bother with that strategy. But if you just leave things abandoned, oh boy, does it go in there and go after those points. So it, it's definitely smarter than than I think I initially gave it credit for. I, I don't believe that it's scripted. I will say that I, I do think the AI is a little more reckless with resources than I would have expected it to be. Uh, it, 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 I, I have had a couple of, I'm, I've, I'm into the Poland campaign and I've had a couple of, of, uh, uh, battles where it seemed like they were just kind of blowing through their prestige. They were, they were, uh, not prestige, uh, experience, uh, and that they were, you know, really not being as conservative as I would have expected them to be in a scenario where they're being very defensive. Um, so I, I do think the AI has that tendency to, to react that way. I probably would have thrown my keyboard if I'd lost that tutorial battle the way you just described, though, because that would have—I would have never expected that. <laughs> but it—but that's—but again, that was my point about like when you're losing a strategy game, it should still feel fun and like you're learning something at least about the system. Right. The thing that if if I had to poke holes at it at all, I think the thing that that is missing that is is a virtue and a flaw, depending on your perspective. Right. The the nice thing about this game is that you can indeed scan every unit, see its 12 or 15 stats and know exactly whether it's better or worse than the unit you could have bought or the or the unit that's standing next to it. But there's not a lot of um, it, it, what that leads to is, while, for instance, you may end up with eight different types of infantry. They're all pretty generic. Right. And, and there are some there are some that have definite advantages. Right. I mean, in the early scenarios, grenadiers are really great against armor. Right. Right. But but as you move forward into the campaign there, it, it sort of starts becoming obvious which units you should take and which you shouldn't. I have yet to see a scenario where I'm going to take a whole bunch of pioneers um, because they're cheap uh, versus taking a harder unit that that's really going to survive and do some damage. And so it's not leading to particularly interesting economic decisions because, you know, there's not really much difference between engineers and infantrymen and parachuters and rangers, right? They're, they're pretty linear changes between force and cost. Yeah, but you, you mentioned that as, as making the units a little boring, but I really like that there's that much transparency to the, you know, that, that I have access to that level of information. And I, I think from a, a, a more newbie perspective, I'd rather have that than a bunch of unique units that I have to, you know, really spend a lot of trial and error time figuring out the, the best way to employ. Well, and, and certainly, you know, you've got, you've got your roster of units, your, your, your Panzer Corps, I suppose it is, uh, that you can bring onto the map, but you can only bring certain number on. So you can actually have more units in reserve than you can actually deploy. So there is there is a lot of point in having certain like special case units. Um, you know, I always keep like a uh, bridging unit or two on on staff basically because you know most scenarios you really won't need them. 
But when you need to make a bridge where there is none, you know, that is absolutely critical to have those units available and to have them, you know, have come through the campaigns so and just not complete pushovers if they come under attack. Um, you know, mountain uh, mountain infantry, uh, some German word, like, you know, Gebels, <laughs> Gebels or something like that. I don't know. Um <laughs> But but the the mountain infantry uh, when when you see what they can do to ordinary ordinary infantry units if they get them up in the hills oh, um, yeah. it's just it's just murderous uh, so right. it's it's really fun to play like Hannibal where you send like couple you know elite mountain units over this like you know uh, range of hills to come up behind an enemy position because they can move really quickly through you know broken terrain and then surprise elite units on you know in their back door so I mean. I, I think I think the difference between like you know straight up infantry and grenadiers that gets yeah that gets a little generic and hair splitty and you know you you might as well have the grenadiers really there's no there's no reason to right. have so you're the not, lower. you're not going to save the ten prestige points to buy something else later right, right. just like, just like there's no like just just like with the unit cap there's absolutely no reason for you to bring early panzers to a battle uh, once you've got panzer threes available like you know the the panzer 1a the panzer right. 2c these are these are these are useless junk and because so- it's worth pointing out just like panzer general um you find this game becomes a bit like playing go where where you're dealing with a very limited board space and you're kind of having to figure out the right order in which to get units in particularly because units can attack before or after their move um you know you're freak i find myself frequently in this sort of cat and mouse game of trying to figure out how to get one unit in to attack while this other unit's already there attacks and gets out of the way. And, and you're often, I find myself, uh, you know, in, a, in the bigger maps with, with something like rivers, if I don't have a bridge unit in where you've got these congested choke points over the rivers where I'll have like this backfield of like, you know, retired football players just sitting there. Like <laughs> I like, I just sort of imagine them sitting there on the tops of their tanks, watching the battle, you know, down the hill, sort of waiting for the young guys to die so that the veterans can come in and mop up. And well, that's interesting strategically, um, it can get a little bit frustrating, which all the more reason why every unit in this game matters, right? I mean, I mean, I was talking about a huge map here having, you know, a couple dozen of each of the three types of units. You know, in in a in a big modern RTS, that wouldn't scare anybody away. But it's daunting here, not so much because you can't keep track of it all. It's turn based. You can spend as much time as you want figuring out where everybody's going to go. Um, but because because you can't, got to figure out how to keep all these guys occupied. Yeah, well, especially because this is a game where you're you're on such a tight deadline that sort of sort of like RTSs, you know, where if you're not doing something, you're losing. Uh, right. If you've got units sitting there waiting for a logjam to clear, you're probably losing the scenario right. uh, while you clear clear out a road. You know, there's always that moment at the start of the scenario where you're looking at the strategic map and you're trying to identify where the main thrust has to be and what what roads you're going to use to sort of support your attack. Um, but, you know, I keep, I keep running up against my frustration with the way these scenarios are designed. Is, is this your big turnaround? Is this, yeah. Like, this when is, you said you're in your middle of your 180? Yeah. You know, I mean, when I was doing, when I was doing the tutorial scenarios, I was having the absolute, an absolute blast. It was the time of my life. I was a little concerned by, you know, how the enemy was always sort of sitting back, but they were, they were training scenarios. Uh, so you kind of expect that. Since then, you know, I tried the tried the first Polish scenario, 
you know, that's that's difficult. It took me several tries to get that right. Um, and then, you know, I, I won the regular victory there, moved on to France, and, you know, trying to crack the Maginot line. And once again, I find myself in this really claustrophobic, um, grindy slog through these, you know, through forests, heavily fortified hills, um, you know, weapon emplacements. And every time I try to, like, blitzkrieg, every time I try to sprint out, my units just get absolutely chewed up. And when I go and play the Barbarossa scenario, which, if there's any scenario in a war game that should be kind of, you know, uh, you know, an ass-kicking first, you know, couple turns, where you're just sprinting out like mad, it should be Barbarossa. Right. And once again, it was yet another heavily defended river crossing, bad terrain, and I was getting, I was outnumbered. So that was, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm playing, it's Groundhog Day. You know, I'm playing the same scenario again and again with different, you know, different nationalities on the field. So to what extent have you guys played with the naval, uh, the naval battle system? I mean, it shows up at the end of the tutorial. Um, it doesn't feature prominently in a lot of the scenarios, although there are a few that are sort of tailored to it. Um, it, it was sort of, I don't remember that vividly from Panzer General. It may have been there and I just, it's not part of my aging doddering brain um what's your sense of how that's been implemented not well <laughs> but what's wrong with it well i don't think i don't think it's core to the game i could i could be wrong because i haven't played i haven't played that far into any single any any one of the campaigns there's there's a couple different ones uh, with different starting dates uh but i'm pretty sure you can't recruit naval units the way you recruit infantry Right, you can't have like a battleship in your Panzer Corps where it's like this is my personal battleship and right. it'll be with me in the scenarios. So it's just when the, when the Navy pops up, it's scenario specific. And right now I'm trying to play the um, because I finally got my brilliant victory in Poland. Now I'm playing the assault on Norway, and that is a very uh, na- naval centric scenario. Uh, where we're basically, you know, it's the coast of Norway, right? So huge landmass running, um, you know, along the east side of the map, north-south, lots of little inlets. And then arrayed around it, you've got the German Navy. And it seems, re- it seems really simple, and it also seems kind of frustratingly arbitrary. Um, you know, your destroyers have a limited sight range, but they're the only ones good against uh, submarines. It's very sort of Axis and Allies, right? Um, you know, and that's... It, it's. I guess it's an okay way of handling handling uh, naval engagements, but it also feels just so incredibly lopsided, especially the way it's implemented in this scenario, which is the Royal Navy shows up with like a dozen battleships, and they can shoot like three times as far as your destroyers. So once they get line of sight on you, it's over. You just sit there and you watch them all blast away from out of range with their right. big guns, and oh, there goes a destroyer, there goes another one, and you really have nothing to reply with. So... I don't know the the naval the naval game doesn't it just seems like it's there to um sort of like when you see it in the tutorial campaign all it's really there there to do is make your amphibious landings more difficult if you screw it up you know you won't get your troops ashore uh, but it's it's not a lot of fun to play it's it doesn't seem very it doesn't seem very interesting is there is there really no way around the the huge range uh naval battles i mean can you not do you not have any sort of uh landmass that you can maneuver around kind of bait them into coming into your range and then attack them from there well i mean in this scenario you really can't because the 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 landmass is hostile so it's full of you know it's full of uh, norwegian troops who are who are fighting against you so your troops are really between a rock and a hard place 
Okay. Uh, you've got the Royal Navy pouring in from one side, and your own navy just getting rolled. And then if you run inland, uh, you're going to run into Norwegian troops. So, I mean, it's, it's just a frustratingly designed scenario. Uh, but, I mean, the counter, I suppose, is get your U-boats out there and attack the battleships. Uh, but it just, it's just, it, this scenario at least, it's, it's too lopsided. But even, yeah, it, even if it were it even seems odds... A little, it seems a little phoned in. Yeah, and even even if it were even odds, right? It'd just be like you know, two guys see each other, they shoot at the same time, you know, and then it's just a, just a dice roll. Well, I I haven't experienced any of that yet. I have to say, um, and it does sound frustrating the way that you paint it. I I don't know again from a, a more layman perspective if if that would bother me that much. I think I would treat that more as here's this challenge I need to figure out how to overcome. Uh, it, maybe after I do it like ten or twelve times, I'd I'd want to you know bash my head against the table but it's almost like a mini game it's almost like 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 the whole naval thing because it is very rare that it shows up um and because the systems for it seem fairly thin compared to everything else you're working with um it 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 is just sort of like a little cat and mouse game you play to get your units from one side of the board to the other it's kind of how it feels yeah that's that's very much it is you know do you want to take a risk with your transports and try a you know you know, a, a risky uh, amphibious maneuver, but if they spot you, your units are just going to get butchered out there in the transports. That's that I think is kind of what it's what it's designed to do. Uh, but how does that compare to were there naval units in Panzer General? Uh, there were clearly not that far in Panzer General yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure there were. I think there were. I think they started to come up when uh, you were doing like Operation Sea Line. So stuff. I mean, how how do they handle compared to Panzer Corps? Is it if it if it's that much of a of a remake, uh, are you facing the same sort of problems in Panzer General? You know that I honestly couldn't tell you. What I've played, yeah, what I, I've can't, played I can't even, I can barely like remember that there were even boats. Come on, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But no, so so where where I where, where the scenario design really begins to frustrate me is what I love about war games, and this is this is my worry about this sort of being introductory level. But when it takes this sort of puzzle-based approach and makes every scenario about uh, overcoming these really, you know, really thorny strong points that the AI is holding, you, you sort of lose a lot of the individual flavor of a scenario or a campaign. Uh, the reason I bring up the Barbarossa scenario is because, you know, when when this year started, I played the much more much more advanced, much more difficult uh, Gary Grigsby's War in the East, uh, which is you know the the graduate school version you know of, of this game. I mean, they're 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 recognizably of the same genre, but they're just completely they're completely different games. Uh, but what what is frustrating about the way this game constructs its scenarios is it will it will give you a scenario called like this is Operation Barbarossa. And Operation Barbarossa should be classic Blitzkrieg if it's if it's being historical, and in Gary, and in War in the East it really is you know this this race against time, where the longer you take to achieve your objectives, the stiffer resistance is going to become. But if you overextend yourself, you're just going to get rolled up when resistance finally does stiffen. So it's this real balancing of risks and rewards. And when the scenario begins, it's really just a question of how how well, can you exploit the situation at hand? Because uh, everything is going in your favor. So it's really just, you know, you can do whatever you want. It's just how clever and good are you? Here, you've got something that's called Operation Barbarossa, 
But it's very much like all the other scenarios you've seen to date, where you're attacking an enemy that's stronger than you. An enemy that is prepared, dug in, and waiting for you. And so you never have these great, like, wargaming moments where you're just, like, racing toward the objective and, you know, encircling the enemy. You, you don't get a lot of that. Instead, you get these really difficult little skirmishes, you know, you know, strung together like, you know, pearls on a string. And that gets, that gets really tedious, uh, especially because these scenarios themselves, the time limit is so small and it's so daunting that uh, you, you've, got the, you've got these two really contradictory pressures that I think are really frustrating uh, to be caught in the middle, caught in the middle uh, if you're a player. On the one hand, you've got a scenario that expects you to complete it very quickly. Uh, you know, you've got to sprint to the end or else you're just going to lose on time. But then you got a scenario that's constructed in such a way that if you put one, you know, one unit wrong, if you put one foot wrong, the enemy's just going to hit you with a sledgehammer and destroy your units. So it's it, these are these are two really con, you know, it's, it's two really contradictory things, and it's it, it, it kind of feels like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, and that's not really what I want to be facing when I'm playing a war game. I I feel like you're you're down the rabbit hole of overanalyzing a couple of scenarios that have frustrated you. Um, and, and maybe it's Poland, maybe it's Poland that's frustrating you because I've been, I've been playing, I, I've been going through all the individual scenarios and I've, they've all seemed quite varied and less uh, damned if you do damned if you don't. Right. I mean, I get that, that a core component of a, a German tank war game should be, some viability in Blitzkrieg, right? That should feel right. You should be able to say, I've got my nine units and I'm rolling across the board and my sheer mass is going to overwhelm you. I've felt that in a lot of these units. I felt like ah, I had the right selection of units. I was able to just decimate three or four objectives in a row, then take a turn to regroup and, you know, reinforce my guys. I felt that. So I, th I really feel like you're having a unique experience that you're beating yourself up over because you're obsessed with achievements, right? I, because I have you're to forcing agree. yourself back into this hole of like, but I've got to win right as opposed to win and move on. I think you may have uh, not to play therapist, but I, th I think you may be, <laughs> uh, I think you may be like suffering from your problem, not the game's problem. I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that you're you're chasing after achievements because I do understand the allure of uh, well I was so close to that decisive victory I have to have that but I I have to echo Jillian's sentiment I I've had moments where I feel like I'm steamrolling across my my enemy and while I'm not nearly as familiar about historical wargaming as you guys are that's what I expected playing as the Germans to feel like and so on that level I feel like this is delivering exactly what what I expected. Um, it is concerning that you talk about the, the scenarios feeling the same. Uh, and I, I would be really concerned about that uh, as I get farther and farther into the Poland campaign. But that does make me think, you know, there's a pretty wide variety of, of scenarios in this game. Um, it maybe maybe this one chunk, however big it is, because it's a pretty significant section of the game, maybe it does feel that way. And maybe you just need to look somewhere else. Well, you know, in my defense, the only scenario I've really gotten hung up hung, hung up on is the opening scenario where you're invading Poland. These other scenarios have been sort of attempts to step away from what's frustrating with that campaign, that scenario, and try to try to see what else is going on. Now, I will say that 
these are all campaign scenarios. And Julian, it sounds to me like you're playing a lot of the one-offs. Yeah, I am. I've been running because because to be honest, I find campaign war game stuff often gets kind of dull, right? Because unless you're playing a campaign that has that's either made up or has known set pieces that were really strategically interesting, which yes, there are some in German World War II tank history, but tank battles aren't necessarily in themselves the most strategically interesting battles of World War II. They're just not, right? A lot of them are just straight up run the tanks against each other and, you know, who had the hill advantage and who had the armor advantage and one guy lost. Now, that's not to say that this game is, or, or to say that, you know, it's never t- tactically interesting. Obviously it is, or we wouldn't even be playing a game called Panzer Corps. But my, my point is simply that it's a little different than, I don't know, uh, talking about scenario design in, uh, you know, Dawn of War II, right, where they can do anything they want. So they can just say, well, in this scenario, we're going to set up this crazy ass strong point in the center and you're going to get to attack from three sides. Well, this game is at least trying to put on the veneer of historical accuracy in its campaigns. And the major tank battles of World War II were often just plotting drives to the line. And, and I mean, at least my reading of World War II has been that way. Um, now, the stories are really interesting and how tank battles and really how tank strategy evolved and the role of armor and artillery in World War II is one of the more interesting mo- you know, sections of military history. Right? It's a little bit like the development of the cannon and Napoleonics, right? It changed tactics. It's changed how people think about the battlefield. It's interesting. I, I dig it. I've read a lot about it. But from a gaming perspective, it's not necessarily the most interesting piece of World War II to model, at least in my opinion. That's that's a good point. Um, I, I I also I, I also wonder. I mean, so much of the campaign is also about cultivating your military dream team, right? Uh, where and it's and and this is actually cleverly done. Uh, so in the middle of a scenario, you can replenish a unit. Uh, for right. you know, you can you can bring in replacements, uh, but you got you always face this choice between bringing in just regular replacements of that unit, which is green raw recruits, right? Right, which basically or, reset it to being a boring old day one unit, right? Right, or you can bring in elite replacements for a co- a higher cost and prestige, but it keeps that it keeps that unit up, you know, it keeps its experience up. Uh, so I mean, a, a lot of this game is about keeping your core intact, watching your casualties, t- you know, nursing your best units along, uh, you know, cultivating a really strong, uh, powerful core group of units. And I, and I suspect that probably contributes a bit to the way the scenarios are designed for these long campaigns where, you know, they're chained together and the, the greater contest you're facing isn't whether you can win this next scenario so much as you can win it in such a way that the that the one after won't be a complete nightmare. You know, right. you're always sort of, you know, you can, yeah, you can win this today, but at what cost? Right. And, and, so, and going, go ahead. Yeah. And it's, and it's because of the, the economic component of the campaigns, which isn't there in the individual scenarios, right? Because you start each campaign or each campaign scenario with whatever you finished with last, which means that if all your units were down to one health and about to die and you were out of money, that's how you're starting the next campaign, the next scenario, which is basically instant death, right? You have no chance. 
And I think those are interesting choices that you have to make, balancing that out with the ability to bring in new new units and, and, and things that you really feel you need. Um, I've, I've let a couple of my units die. I just kind of decided, you know, as, as a general, that these guys weren't going to be worth the resources and I needed to spend that on something else. Um, I don't know if that means that I'm having some sort of deep religious, like, World War II experience, you know? <laughs> but... <laughs> But but it's it's interesting that I've had to think of units that way because that's not something that as a as a novice strategy gamer I'm used to doing. I'm I'm not used to thinking about uh, putting that much thought in in tossing aside a, a unit like sacrificing it. And, and it's a real throwback to honestly, it's a real throwback to sort of uh, you know traditional hex based uh, you know chits wargaming where where you know a lot of great war games including advanced squad leader including you know uh you know pretty much every great large war game i've ever played had a set of campaign rules which if you were really lucky you had a friend that you were going to be able to play six seven eight ten scenarios with that's you and, and me soon julian yeah there we go <laughs> um and and the the hook of those was always this idea that there was some sense of permanence from one game to the next that that oh my gosh this is the this is the crazy leader who you know rolled the grenade under the tank at the right moment and consequently he got an extra experience point so now he's really good against armor because you know he's cocky and has experience at that and and that sort of little tiny role playing element is very rare in strategy gaming i mean it gets it gets lip service in lots of places. I mean, certainly, I mean, I'm keeping up Dawn of War 2. I don't know why, but, you know, certainly there, it's all about the characters and everything else, but but it's largely falsified, right? It's because you're following a storyline. It's not because you had that unit that made the last minute save. In this game, you know, your unit makes a rugged defense against some tank that's rolling in on it and manages to kill that tank. The, the feeling is like, wow, this this unit's now really good against tanks. It got a plus one versus armor because of that. If I can keep this unit alive, that's like my unfair advantage. And that really does harken back to that era of trying to get your friend to come over and play, you know, six days a week for a week of summer vacation so that you could advance your units along the campaign trail. So I, I really love the fact that it does that. But it does lead to this sort of economic decision you're making between games which you can really get down the rat hole. I mean, the first thing I learned playing the tutorial was save every single game at least two or three times because you end up down the wrong side of the rat hole. You can win the scenario and never finish the tutorial. <laughs> right, yeah. absolutely. It's it's definitely very... It, it's risky to create a game like this. I'm not sure anyone's ever... It's a difficult problem to solve because you're you're putting a lot of trust in the player... To complete to complete scenarios with enough with enough points left, enough units left to win the next one, but but and this was a, this was a classic problem with Panzer General is every 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 strategy guide I ever read for Panzer General was always like slapping you on the wrist whenever you even thought about upgrading a unit in the early game. You know, no, no, don't don't get the Panzer Three because you're gonna need those points for the Panthers when those come out, and so Panzer General I think had this problem of really frustrating delayed gratification where you'd be pushing these crap units through the first, you know, half dozen scenarios, you know, trying to keep them alive. And only then could you upgrade them to the better tier of units that were going to carry you through the next phase of the campaign. Uh, and if you didn't do that, you were going to hit some point 
in the mid game or the late game where you just you were at a brick wall where the where the strategy guys basically say you know there's you know if you haven't got the, these units and you don't have this many points sorry you're you're really not gonna you're really not gonna be able to complete the scenario uh, so good luck and reload that save from six scenarios back and try to do it better. Uh, that's you know that's that's a nightmarish place to be. That's but, a brutal way of of going about it. But I, I also have to wonder is that is that something that that a World War II game needs like in order to to thematically fit the setting? Like, do you need to have that sort of forward thinking like rationing of your of your resources? Says the That's guy who never question. had to you go do. six scenarios back. To be you honest, do. like no, if I did, I'd probably be very upset about it. But no, you 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 definitely do have to in the camp. Certainly in Poland, you definitely have to start rationing your resources, right? Because you know by by mission two or three, you're going to have you know three thousand campaign points, which is a lot of money in this game, right? And so theoretically, you could field nothing but just a you know field. Of you know, the best tanks you can get and nothing but grenadiers all upgraded with Humvees or not, well, you know, not with Humvees, but you know what I mean, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you could theoretically field nothing but, a, you know, a unit cap of the best units and spend all of your money right out of the gate. And you'll probably win that scenario. The problem is you won't have any money to heal those units during the course of the event or the course of the scenario. And you're going to come out the other side with a bunch of units that are not 10 strength anymore. They're two strength. And now you're in this horrible position of you'll get a few, you'll get some money at the beginning of the next campaign and you'll spend all of it right away keeping those units alive and now you're screwed. But that feels like a World War II game to me. That yes. feels no, this that, is a good that, thing. That, I'm that not feels absolutely at all. And that's and that's why I think your question is a really good one, Corey, because I think you you're know, approaching this pro- this this concept from the scenario of someone who has had to go back six scenarios, and, and at that point, you don't give a fuck what what the scenario is. You could be fighting space aliens, but you don't want to lose the time that you've invested in this game. But right. I wonder if 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 the true grognard that you guys are, if if that's required, like if that's if that's a sacrifice from a gameplay perspective and more for a historical accuracy perspective. Well, ideally, ideally, what you what you what you never want, I think, in a war game is the Kobayashi Maru scenario, where it's like, sorry, you know, sorry, there is, there is no winning solution here. You know, you can you can reload it, you can play it perfectly as many times as you like. You do not have mathematically, you do not have enough points on the board. Right to win right. the scenario. Right, that's so, that's that's flaw one, and flaw two is not having an interesting decision to make. I mean, I, I broken record. I say that all the time about what makes strategy games great. I should always have an interesting decision to make, even if I'm losing. Right, and right. part of what's cool about this, the economic component of this, is it's giving you a whole nother set of interesting decisions to make, even if you're losing, or even if things aren't going well, or even if things are going swimmingly, and you're just rolling over things. You still have to make this decision about, well, okay, I'm in this middle of this scenario. Things are going really well. I've got a lot of money. Is this the time that I should, say, take a turn off and yep. upgrade all my units, right? So you can still, you can be in just this shit through a goose victory, and you still have this really interesting decision to make about, do you take a pause and use this as that time on the battlefield where everybody recuperates, everybody recovers, all the infantry units get transports, whatever, those are, it's a whole nother vector of interesting decisions, which is why I think it's great. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And that becomes, because you have to look after both supply and uh, replacements and they're two separate, they're two separate values. And 
when you replenish one, it's going to eat that whole turn. You know, this game, it's it's consistently it's consistently a challenge. When are you going to rest a unit? And do you rest all your units and then go out with a you know fully back up the strength army? Or do you, you know, sort of have, have a rolling progress where some move forward and the others are going to, you know, now they're going to, you right. know, and, and it rewards, it really rewards tactical retreats too, which I love because that's a, it feels rare to me where I, I'm in a situation where I can see these are my fresh units. These are my exhausted units. This guy's going to take one last shot at this tank he can't kill, but maybe he'll do a little damage, but then I'm going to retreat him six hexes back and he's taking a turn off. Right? Well, There's really that that give and take on the battlefield. I it's I really can't think of games. Maybe some Civil War games. Maybe maybe when we were playing Gettysburg, there was some of that. But but even then, nothing like this. Oh, I don't know. I think, boy, I, I feel these are these are kind of core to to good war games. I mean, you know, this is if 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 a war game gets it right, this is this is going to be core to uh, to to a lot of war games. Uh, How many war games get it right? Well, I mean, not as many as you'd like. From a layman perspective, many, that seems like it would be it, very hard to pull off. And how many get it so transparently? I mean, right. that's part that's, of it here is that it's just so obvious when you've got a unit that's down to two from ten, and he's sitting right next to a full-strength enemy unit, and you click on that unit, and you've got the option of attacking or retreating. It's just you can see that path back, and you know you you sort of learn this this sort of wave approach, which is totally historically appropriate very quickly um it, it just feels right and it's right there in front of you it's not like you have to be clever to figure out you should be resting your units i really cannot stress enough how how helpful that is for someone who's not used to a war game to have that level of information at my fingertips you know the control clicking i didn't when we talked about this in the other podcast i i hadn't even grokked the idea that i could do that and it's changed my game dramatically i'm still surprised there are still, you know, scenarios where where the battle will go the wrong way for me, and and that feels appropriate. But I feel like I'm a lot more prepared for those kinds of, kinds of situations now. And my my sense of war games is that you don't get that level of data. It's 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 hidden most of the time from you. Right, and that's and that's a real frustration with war games is that. Yeah, this this touches on two columns I've written for PCG actually. So 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 pardon the uh, self the blatant self promotion. <laughs> uh, well, I mean it's you know my my thinking's evolved in in a couple ways over the course of this year because you know at the start of this year I I just gotten back in I just gotten into Panzer General and I went from Panzer General to uh, Gary Grigsby's War in the East and it was really frustrating to me for that exact reason, Corey. It was I don't feel like these decisions are necessarily more interesting, you know, where, you know, Gary, in, in Grigsby's War in the East, you've got to worry about things like, okay, so this unit's got plenty of ammunition, but its readiness is down, and it's running low on fuel, and its tanks are out of spare parts. What does that translate to in, you know, prescriptive turns? Well, chances are you've got to rest the unit. But you ca it can't just tell you that, right? It's got to give you this breakdown of, you know, four different statistics on, the, on this unit's condition for fighting. Four and different statistics that... that are kind of obfuscated a little bit like right so yeah so you're just obscuring the obscuring right. the core decision and that really that's really that's annoying to me at times it's really going to turn it's not a game i could ever recommend to you 
because no. I, I actually know. looked it up while we were talking about it, and it's not something I'm remotely ready for. But right. <laughs> what's what's more interesting about Panzer Corps is that I have I, I I have fewer variables to consider when I'm trying to decide if a unit is battle ready or not. But I really need to agonize over that decision because because of the pace of the game. If if I sit that unit out, if I if I tell them to rest up and resupply or or get their reinforcements, I mean the tide can turn very quickly. And so right. I, and with with so few units, and like like Julian said, all of those units matter on on the field. You know it, that kind of a decision is is something that I've agonized over. Now, but here but here's the here's the thing that I've sort of turned around on just in re, with regard to war games. War in the East is one of those games that I really turned me off at first, and then the more I played it, and the more I've really reflected on it, the more I've come to respect that game. And what you get with that detail, and I think this is one of the places that this game, that Panzer Corps and even Panzer General, probably come up short for me, is that when you begin adding these granular details, what they're doing is creating uh, a little more dimension for these problems, a little more. A little more uh, variety in what can happen in this game world. Uh, so in so in this, you've got a, you've got a unit rated on strength, you know, ten to one. You know, I mean, you know, ten full strength down to one. It's 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 nothing, but it doesn't really take into account. You know, it, it doesn't seriously consider things like uh, morale or supply. It either it either has ammo or it doesn't. Uh, there's there's no factor. There's no readiness factor. And when you're playing a more sophisticated war game, what you begin to see happening when all these systems are 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 working together is that now you start seeing all these different outcomes and decisions sort of growing growing out of these systems where you will have to go back to the Barbarossa example. One of the things you see over the course of that scenario is when you when you, you strike as the Germans, the Soviet troops are not prepared, they are not ready for war, they are not equipped, they are not well led, and so they are fighting below their numer- numerical strength because they have a shock value against them, uh, you know, that you are steadily eroding their supplies, you know, morale is very low. And what begins happening as you as you race forward is slowly but surely you're running low on gas. Uh, the wear and tear of campaigning starts to sort of take some of the punch out of your units, and the Soviets are getting their act together. And slowly but surely they're starting to get replacements and equipment and uh, and basically prepare for war. And what happens over over the course of that over the course of that story is each turn begins to feel very different. You know, the, you, it, it's a much more textured experience. You can begin to feel the, the pitch of battle sort of change in a way that, at least to me, you're never going to really see in a game like that. The, the, scenario, the, the decisions here are always going to be very simple. They're always going to be very clear-cut. They might be difficult. They might be agonizing. But, and, and I appreciate that simplicity. I don't mean to knock it. But, I, but I, do, I do mean to step up here and say that there are times I've been guilty of thinking that war games don't need to be as nearly as complicated as they are. They go way too far down the detailed rabbit hole, and we don't get a lot out of it. And in many cases, that's true. But when a game really does use additional details to good effect, uh, what, what you're getting is, is new possibilities within, within the game that you aren't going to see in a simpler system. Now, a lot of war games don't pass that test, that's true. But playing this game, it also... Some of the sameness that I've been that I've been chafing against uh, is just stuff that I, it's just a sort of generic feel that I'm not used to from my more sophisticated war games. I might go so far as to say, Rob, that this game may not be for you. 
I think you, I think <laughs> you may too, be you're too deep for it. You're too deep for it. You may be beyond what what a Panzer game can offer. I I question whether you, when you went back and played Panzer General, if you were really getting that experience out of it as well, or if it was purely the nostalgia factor that was that was reaching out to you. Because you've evolved, you have you have stepped up to a higher level of war game and. While that's great, and I would I would never say that that War in the East is a, a bad game, partly because I've never played it, and partly because it's scratching that itch for you. I think there's room to introduce players like me to a, a higher level of of strategy game, Amen. and uh, that's that's what I'm really getting out of this. It, maybe a couple years from now, I could try War in the East. I think I I'm more interested in the Civil War game that you were pitching me on uh, a while back. Uh, in just in terms of of a, a stepping stone, but I think this game provides a, a a more core experience, probably a little more lightweight experience, but really a a war game that's that's faster paced than it sounds like what you're looking for out of a deeper war game. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. You just you're on a higher plane than the rest of us, Rob. That's just what it is. I lo- I love the fast pacing of it, and it's and one of the things I'm really looking forward to doing is playing. Uh, more multiplayer with you guys. Uh, it's not right. something I've had. You know, we've all been busy this week. We haven't really had a chance to get our multiplayer act together. Julian, have you have you had a chance to? I have not spent one iota of time doing play by email. It's hard for me to imagine the disconnect of doing this really asynchronously, like like playing a game of Ascension on your iPhone where you wait three days and then play another turn, just because situational awareness matters so much. I feel like I'd have to rethink the whole game every turn, but. If we could get something going where we're sending the turns really fast, that could be good. Well, yeah, I mean, just like a couple turns a day. But I, I think the the sort of the simplicity of this really lends itself, if the scenarios are well constructed, it really lends itself to, I think, multiplayer perhaps more than campaigning. Because then you're yeah. really taking advantage of that. It's a, it's a little more complicated than your average board game could probably carry off. Uh, but it's still simple and clear enough and fast-paced enough that I think it could really... Uh, scratch that itch that a lot of us, um, you know, it, it'll it'll get a lot of the things that a lot of that we enjoy say about a Richard Borg war game, you know, right. just something a little more sophisticated that, than that that we can play with our friends. All right, so that about covers Panzer Corps. Uh, don't really have a topic picked picked out for next week. Uh, possibly we'll be discussing combat mission beyond Normandy. Uh, Battle for Normandy. God, I keep I keep confusing it with the uh, the original game. That will do it for tonight's show on Panzer Corps. Be sure to listen in the coming weeks for other exciting Panzer-related 3MA episodes. As always, I'd like to thank our producer, Michael Hermes, for his work on this episode, and Corey Banks for making time for us. I would also like to ask you to please rate and review us on iTunes. While I never get tired of staring at our 5-star rating and positive reviews, it's always good to get more feedback and hear what you think of recent shows. Now, two weeks ago, Longbow's Rick Jorgensen offered two copies of Hegemony Gold to our loyal listeners, and the deadline for the contest was last Thursday when our discussion with PC gamers Logan Decker went live. Tonight, I can announce the winners are Stephen Kirk and Rob Neidestadt. Congratulations to you both, and I hope you both enjoy the game. Good night, everyone. <laughs>